Hello there. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. I'm talking about the very source of reality, of ultimate reality. And what is the source of reality and of all existence? It is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is also the very source of love who is who the one true eternal God is. And for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book that you can go through, which I could show you right now. And I guess I will do that. I wasn't, again, planning to do this. I should have had it ready, but that's not a problem. We can bring it up pretty quick here. I'll just do that quickly and show it to you. Um, the colors are off because of the background, possibly. But um, here's the flip book here. And uh, you can blow it up to any size you want. And it is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me that answers some of the most hard questions and is filled with lots of red print, which are actually links that go to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archaeology. I mean, they are really amazing. A lot of the public isn't aware of these amazing discoveries that are highly confirmed to be real. And so, check that out. I'm just letting you making you aware of it here. And um, this message is spoken seeking as it commands in the Word of God in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so I will be seeking in this message to allow God by his Spirit to speak through me what he would be saying by his spirit to those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal as described in John 17. This verse, 1 Peter 4.11, it says we are to seek to speak as the oracles of God particularly is significant when we gather together that each of us has within us such a relationship with God that we can allow God to rise up in us and speak through us beyond ourselves, our normal natural selves. As Christ said, the words I speak are spirit and life. This is further amplified and understood by Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great humility and reverence towards God, we are filled with a spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances. And so, when the early church came together, there was total freedom to share. They didn't have to ask permission to share or in our day and age, ask permission to use the microphone and share. 
they were allowed to have total freedom to share. And so if they, one felt the Spirit of God rising up within them, they knew they were to share. And I've had that experience many times in a congregation, which is very rare to find, that allows for this liberty. And uh, all I would have is an impression from the Spirit of God of a seed thought, and that I was to sing it out, and it would come forth in a beautiful song, or it would come forth in a prayer that was not only to God, but a message towards the people of God, or sometimes as a prophetic word. And so everyone can speak, whether it's a testimony, an exhortation, a word of encouragement, a song, what you seek to do, that is you sense the Spirit moving upon you to do it. You are sensitized out of a pure relationship with God to do that. And it is greatly lacking in these days. But God is wanting to bring all of these things into a fullness way beyond what it has ever been in the history of the world in these last days. I have a book on the internet titled God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which is about, it's over 250 pages, of everything that you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. And one of them is what I am talking about here. Pastors shouldn't be worrying about a mess. They should allow God to move through the body as he pleases. So if there's some people that are off once in a while, don't worry about it. God's in control. If people come in that are opposition and they speak, God will take care of them like he did in the Zuzu Street Revival with great judgment that's almost immediate. That was one of the most major moves of God in church history. But we are living at the very end of the ages. And God is calling us as his people to be those that arise to this occasion to be everything that God has called us to be. Now, one of the things I do to seek, to speak as the oracles of God, or in other words, prophetically, of course, it is out of a heart set and mindset of worship that this comes forth. And so as I'm speaking, I seek to be in a heart set and mindset of worship. And the way God has led me may not be the way he's led you, but he's led me to use the casting of Lot by using two independent random applications to get the choice of two chapters in order that those two chapters would bear witness with each other as to what the theme is and would amplify each other. And it has a very powerful synergistic effect to bring forth what God is saying by his Spirit. As the Word of God says, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. If it is done in great reverence and uh, in a right relationship, a loving relationship with God, it works. And it was extensively used by the pre Christ um, church, that is the nation of Israel and so on from the time of Adam on. And then after Christ, the early church used it to choose the apostle who would take Judas's place. It was used extensively in church history by movements such as the Moravians, a powerful movement of revival. They even chose their own wives by the casting of Lot. So I won't go into all of that. I am here to want to share what God is giving today in the two chapters that I've received by the casting of Lot before God. I only spent a half an hour meditating on it, and today these two chapters were really long, and so I don't know what I'm going to share. I really don't.
But that's good because that allows God, by his Spirit, to speak to the body of Christ. It facilitates speaking as the oracles of God, or in other words, prophetically. And so I'm looking forward to this message. But before we get into this message, I want to have a worship song, which I always choose somehow in God's providence by the casting of Lot. But when I see that the song I get in the hymn book is not one I can find on YouTube with the words, when I type it into YouTube, I'll find it, but it doesn't have the words on the screen. I want these songs to all be ones that can be used on the overhead projector by playing YouTube, the videos on YouTube. And so I do have a worship song playlist on my website at loverealize.com with well over by now, I'm sure, a hundred high quality worship songs with the words. So here is one, and this song is on my playlist with a different background. But uh, we'll play this song first in worship before God and sense what God is saying by his spirit through this song as well. So we're going to go to that song now, which is probably right here. And we'll get this set right. Hold on. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I long in thy presence to live. From morning to evening, my one world thou art. Oh, let not my heart be contented or Thank you. 
is a beautiful song that is a prayer that we all can enter into that are truly the children of God. We can enter into that song, which is a prayer unto the Lord, that we would be so single and pure in our love for God. And so I want to bring forth the theme of the message today from the Word of God. And what I received. It was two passages that were quite long. John chapter 10 and Luke chapter 11 were received today, but with two independent random apps by the casting of Lot. And the basic theme that I perceived in these two chapters is the choice to be single-eyed in our life's focus on Jesus Christ is essential for victory and for eternal life. I'm not saying that if someone sins that then they're not saved. What I'm saying is that a person that is truly born again in the Spirit is always being brought to a place where their focus is only and their motivation is totally only pure in a love for God that transcends anything of the things of their own life and their own world. It means that Christ is fully the treasure of our heart, the supreme treasure of our heart, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you are motivated all the time, grasping for the temporal things of this world, and you hardly seek God in prayer, it is questionable whether in the first place you've really been converted. Or maybe God is allowing a situation to develop in your life that will corner you to a place of far greater conversion if that conversion was very shallow. And so I want to begin reading from John chapter 10, 10 to 13. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the, the, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. Now I can tell you that there are many people that go to seminaries, that go to Bible schools and graduate, and yet they are hirelings. They have never had a genuine rebirth into Christ. 
Their motives are totally self-seeking. Not everyone, but there are many. Christ said that many would come to him in the last days and who would say, Lord, haven't we cast out devils in your name? Haven't we done many wonderful works in your name? And he will say, depart from you, me. I never knew you. And it uses the word many. So there's going to be many that are like this. But he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because their motivations were not pure. There was not a pure love relationship. Maybe they really loved people looking up to them. Maybe they wanted all the attention. Or maybe they wanted all the wealth that they got from the offerings and so on. And, and this, the, the glory of people looking up to them. Such motives of totally evil. And of course, those that have such motives, when persecution faces them, they will flee because that their heart isn't in genuine love for God and for the sheep. It's in their own life. Yes. And so we go on here and we read in John 10, skipping down to verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And that verse is in red because I consider that the theme verse of John chapter 10. And what is true of Christ here is also true of those that have been truly converted. They have the power through their own free choice because God has all given us a free will to make a choice to literally lay down their lives if it need be onto cruel crucifixion or some other form of torture unto death for the name of Christ. And if we truly love God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our being, if we have truly been brought forth anew to the Spirit of God, we certainly are not going to put some dictator who is threatening us to deny Christ and obey him over the Lord. Those that receive the mark of the beast in the last days will not be saved. They may have prayed the sinner's prayer. They may have experienced conversion and so on. But if it comes down to a decision where they receive the mark and worship the beast in the place of Jesus Christ, they will be separated from the love of God forever. And when you are separated from the love of God, what is left? The love of God is the very source of reality I mentioned earlier. It is also the very source of life. This is very clear from those that have died and experienced the afterlife. And I mentioned here that I've recently published a book titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. And genuine Christians that have entered heaven time and time again, their testimonies such as Dean Braxton, such as Dale Black, such as Betty Cohn, such as, and the list goes on, many. And many of these have been highly confirmed as dead by medical equipment and doctors. They all say that the source of the life, which is so over, beyond anything in this dimension, I mean, I could get into really 
talking about the afterlife because I've written a book on it. It's way beyond this dimension. One compared this dimension to being equivalent to 2D paper in comparison to the other dimension, uh, in comparison being like in 3D, like we're here. What is 3D compared to something that's 2D? It's insignificant. It's not even a dream. It's less than a dream. And that's how much greater the reality is they experience in this other dimension where they have a spiritual body, which is actually an ultra real permanent body. Although there is the resurrection of the physical body at the coming of Christ to the earth, there they also experience that their spiritual body is very physical. When they eat of the trees that are there, the fruit, they can feel the juice running down their cheeks. They feel the beauty of this taste, the glory, the wonderful pleasure of the taste of these fruits, which is way beyond anything of the pleasure you can experience in this world. Yeah, they don't have sex organs there and they don't have sex because what they have is of a far greater dimension of pleasure for one than anything of some temporal titillating pleasure in this world, which is such an inferior dimension. Yes, they experience that fruit go into their body and then it permeates their whole body with life and energy. Wonderful, so wonderful that they can experience such a real experience, those that are in hell. They experience torment and physical pain that's far greater than any physical pain that possibly can be experienced in this world. It's very physical. Their bodies get torn apart by demons and then they reconstitute again and it goes over and over. Or they get burned alive by fire and then reconstitute again in total torment and pain way beyond anything of this world. You might say, well, if there's a God of love, why would he allow that? You know, there's good answers in my book on this, and I don't want to get sidetracked by these things. But God is love, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. He came all the way. Can you imagine? It says in the word of God, he humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heaven of heavens. And yes, he is so great that he can come down and communicate with his creation. Some that have a monotheistic perception of God, believe he's not that great. You can't put God in the box, the one that created the whole universe. You think he's that small that he can't communicate with his creation? In Genesis 18, you can read that he created, he communicated with Abraham. Jesus Christ communicated with Abraham in Genesis 18. You can read it. There's three angels standing before Abraham, uh, maybe 10 feet in front of his door. He runs to them and he says, I, I want to make you a wonderful meal. Can I serve you? And they sit down, they all eat, and he addresses one of them, the leader, as Yahweh. And this was just before Sodom and Gomorrah. They were going to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. The Lord went up from the other two angels before that. But he, that was Yahweh, the most sacred name for God. It's also pronounced, and some people believe in pronouncing it Yehovah. But that's the name, which in the King James is usually the word Lord in the Old Testament. And God in the King James is usually Elohim, which means the Almighty's, which is actually referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, anyhow, in this passage here, we have Christ mentioning that he has total choice and freedom, and he delights so much in the Father that he's willing to lay down his life. And those that really know God, that know God the Father, that know Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
they also have such a mindset and a heart set to always love God with a single heart and a single eye. And we go on in this passage. I can't believe the time already, but I'm going to just go on as long as God is leading me to speak here. He talks about how his sheep know his voice. Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, which basically means life that never ends, because it is of such a quality that it can never be destroyed. A life that never ends and that ever enlarges in pleasures of fellowship that are creative in relationship with fellowship with God and his myriads of creations, which includes multitudes of angels. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And those that love Jesus Christ no one is able to pluck them out of his hand. It doesn't mean that you cannot choose to turn your back on God and end up losing your salvation. Because you still have choice. You still have freedom of choice. But those that really know God and know his love, how can you trade such love? God humbles himself to behold the things in the heavens. And then I said, yes, he can communicate with Abraham even. And yes, even more than that, his love is so great that in Jesus Christ, he came into this world with one mission, to lay down his life as an atoning, substitutionary sacrifice. And he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross, he suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. And if you were the only one he created, he would do that for you. That's what the people in heaven experienced. God revealed to them that he would have done that for them even if they were the only one he, he created. He loved them with that intensity. They, it felt like they were the only one in the universe and that they were the apple of God's eye, yet they knew that God loved others the same as he loved them. I want to go on here and share what God is saying here in this passage. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. But in the context of John 10, there's great opposition, and people are angry with him and so on, and saying he has a devil and all of these things. But there's others that believe. But it's interesting that the ones that don't believe don't look at the facts. Or if they do look at the facts, they don't dig in to search because they really don't want the truth. If they really wanted the truth, they would dig until they found what is indisputable by the evidence, as these people in this last verse drew such a conclusion. I want to go now to the other chapter and point out, first of all, the theme section in relation to what's in John 10. 
It says here in Luke eleven thirty three to 36, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. And the context of this passage of scripture is pretty clear in Luke. It has to do with the people answer. It has to do with the proper relationship with God. Entering into a relationship that is pleasing with God. But some of them were calling him Belzebub in Luke chapter 11 and claiming that he was casting out devils by the prince of devils. But Christ is emphasizing certain things here which are really crystallized the most in these verses that I just read. And so you see here, for example, in verse 8 to 10, I say unto you, and this is referring to prayer because he had the, the disciple said, teach us to pray, and he prayed the Lord's Prayer. And then he's wanting to emphasize what's important in prayer, and he says this, and I say unto you, though he will not rise, now he's giving the parable of someone coming to the person in the middle of the night when he's already in bed with, with his children, but he's a friend, and he's saying, I have someone very, very close friend of mine that's come, and I don't have any bread. Can, can you get up and give me some bread? And this is what the Lord says, and I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is, a, is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he seeketh. Now this word importun importunity in one of the dictionaries I looked up means repeatedly asking for something in a forceful and annoying way. That means you want this more than anything else. This means that you're not just half-heartedly asking for something. You are asking for something with all your heart, with a wholeness and a whole focus and strong and full desire. And so it is that that God requires in our requests to him for there to be answers. Ask and it shall be given you. And in the original Greek, that means keep on asking and it shall be given you. Keep on seeking, seek and it shall, and ye shall find. Keep on knocking, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Brothers and sisters, for God to do a mighty work in your life requires a total, wholehearted love for God. There's a song that says, Jesus, Lord, I'm captured by your beauty. 
And King David said in the word of God, Worship the Lord, Yahweh, in the beauty that comes out of holiness. What is the holiness of God? The holiness of God is his love in its integrity that will not tolerate what is contrary to his love. And I'm describing the highest form of love, which always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, whether there's the filial feeling love with it or not. It always chooses the highest lasting good. Any lesser choice would obviously have a measure of corruption in it. But this love is as a consuming fire of judgment against anything that is less than this love. It is the very opposite of corruption of it is the very opposite of corruption and of evil. It is what ensures that there can be a goodness, is that God will not tolerate sin. He will not tolerate corruption. So God is calling us as his people to be those that do not allow things in our heart that would take away or eclipse our love for Christ our wholehearted love for God. What we're asking for should not be for something to consume on our own lusts. If we have truly the love relationship that God is expecting us to enter into, then there is going to be a wholehearted desire only for one thing, and that is that whatever we ask, we are asking for is glorifying God, is furthering his kingdom, expanding his glory upon the earth, enlarging his glory. It is a mode of total love because God is love. When Christ looked on the people, he looked on them with compassion because they were like sheep that had no shepherd. And he felt for the struggles they were going through in their life. And he knew that what they needed the most was to learn to trust God and to see how great his love is towards them. And when we see the holiness of God, which I'm just describing, and we reciprocate it, this, this love that's so pure is the very source of beauty. Yes, worship God in the beauty that comes out of holiness. Out of the purity of God's love comes ultimate beauty. He is the very source of beauty. We see many things in the natural realm that attract us because they're so beautiful, like a husband and a wife. God created that beauty. But how much more is he beautiful because he's the very source of all love. He's the very source of all beauty because his love will not tolerate corruption, which mars beauty, which mars goodness. And he wants us to be captured by the beauty of his pure love of his holiness. And so he speaks into this message to these people to show them, to get them to realize what is important in their lives and to die to all the things that are manipulating them as manipulated bait, the temporal titillations and titillating pleasures of this life, which Jonah describes when he says, those, the, the, those that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. We go on and we read here. So there's this same motivation that there must be when we pray. We should be always sensitive 
Is this what God is wanting us to ask? Is he wanting us to ask for this person to be healed? Or is there some sin in their life that first of all must be addressed before we can agree with them? They want to be healed. They're crying out for healing, but are they willing to repent? If there's a heart that desires to be re repent, they will be so filled with relief and joy to know that they've been forgiven when Christ said, your sins are forgiven you to the man that was lame. Because he knew his heart was already repentant. He saw, oh God, I must be in this place because I've sinned. Maybe that's the reason, I don't know, but I repent of my sin. Would you be merciful to me? And he said to him, thy sins be forgiven. Rise up and take up thy bed and walk. I want to share here with you. So then Christ is, some of them are seeing all of these things. And he mentions about the strong man here. Of course, they're talking about Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he is come upon him and overcomes him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And this verse, verse 23 he that is not with me is against me is the key to understanding the strong man that he is talking about here. If we are not fully for Christ, we become weak and the enemy can come in because he sees he's got ways of footholds into our lives because we're not willing to give up this. We're holding on to this motivation. Sometimes it's a sexual habit that some people have that they're not willing to give up on. And they justify it by saying, oh, I've heard teachers say, and I've heard charismatic, there are charismatic teachers that teach these things. Oh, it's okay to have sexual release. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about the verses in the Word of God that say, even if you look on a woman to lust after you've committed adultery already in his heart? That we're not even to imagine evil against our brothers and our sisters, let alone express it by talking behind their backs and hurting them and trying to destroy their lives. Or if you don't think you're destroying them, that's what you're doing or you're being used by the enemy to seek to do. God is calling us as his people to be those that are totally in a wholehearted love relationship with him so that every thought is brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, not out of religious duty or some thing that mindset we have, oh, we got to be holy. No, because we're captured with his love that is so pure that it is the very source of beauty that was so great that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, so that you could be reconciled to God. Those that are Christians that are in bondage to habits, that are in bondage to other things, 
Brothers and sisters, don't let the enemy lie to you and say that it's too much. I can't do it. I'm too weak. The Word of God says in Hebrews that we're to bring our weaknesses to God, not shrink back, but to bring our weaknesses to Him. It says we're to come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need. When we feel weak, we can come with boldness and say, Lord, I'm so weak in this area. Take this desire away from me. Take this away from me. Help me to overcome it. Make a way of escape that I do not get drawn into it because it's like a black hole in outer space that will suck you in. And if you do not repent, and if you do not confess it as sin, it will continue in your life and will continue to manipulate your life and allow the enemy so that you are no longer the one that is in control of the heart of hearts in your life. And so you're like this strong man who's been made weak and the enemy can come in and possess you with demonic powers that can manipulate your life. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and dev- Fighteth his spoils. He ruins your life. Totally ruins your life. But we have what? He that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. All we need to do is be in a love relationship with God. All we need to do is be those that as we receive Christ, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ? We cried out and we said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God is calling us as his people to be those that are like little children, except ye be converted and become as a little child. Ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. We are to walk in this humility. We are to walk and bring our weaknesses to God out of a wholehearted love for him, knowing that he will give us the strength. We may struggle with an area in our lives giving it up or the deception of giving it up. And so we continue to repent until we have victory, but it must be that we are truly repenting because we have a true resolve to never do it again. If we think we can be forgiven with a motive that God will just keep forgiving us and then we can just continue to enjoy it, we are deceiving ourselves and bringing ourselves into real danger and jeopardy in our relationship with God and and for eternity, whether one can be brought to a place where they are like a vine that doesn't bear fruit or a tree that doesn't bear fruit and it is cast out and burned because it's been purged a number of times through trials. But then when the trials came, they just became bitter against God and continued in their own stubborn habits or whatever it is that they were in bondage to. And so many people that can end up being in bondage to unclean spirits. And when they repent, if they do not enter into a love relationship with God as described here, the bondage will become even greater to their utter destruction. But we are those that are our brother's keepers. And so we will seek, if there's any root of bitterness in the body of Christ, to out of love deal with that in a person, whatever it is, that's spreading division, that's spreading hate, that they would be set free because we go to them in humility and wash their feet and tell them that we appreciate what we see of Christ in them. 
And maybe it's hard to see a lot of Christ in them, but we appreciate them. We love them. We see they're created. We do our best. We admit our faults to them. And out of that, share with them our concern that we want them to be so blessed. And we see this in their life that has offended this person or offended us. And we want them to be free of that. And so out of humility, we seek in meekness to bring them out of bondage that are taken captive of the devil at his will. We go on reading here the theme section, which is no man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in his secret place, nor under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. God created us with purpose. He created us to be a light, to reflect his glory like this candle. Not to put it under a bushel. We're putting it under a bushel when we hold on to other priorities in our lives in place of the kingdom of God. When we let our love for God be eclipsed by the love of maybe even someone that we're in love with and want to marry. That doesn't mean we, the enemy can come in there and lie to us too and condemn us that that's the case. Let's not allow that to happen either. It's not wrong to have a very strong love for someone you're about to marry or, or someone that's become precious to you. The question is whether we're allowing that to eclipse our love for God because then we're not praying, we're not seeking God, we're not cultivating that love relationship with God. The person obviously should be someone that enhances our relationship with God, someone that is of the same heart and mind. And we should all be asking for that if we're single and we're not married. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. In other words, if your eye is focused right, if it's got a single focus on the light, then you can see where to go down that path. Because your body is filled with the knowledge of the light in front of you enters your body, causing your feet to know which way to go. So your, the light is therefore in your feet. The light is therefore in your whole body. Because you're not looking over onto the side here at the darkness, you're looking at the light. And you can see that there is a cliff here. Whereas if you're looking somewhere else or you're double-minded instead of single-focused in your love for God. You will not see where to go. Your body won't be filled with light. You won't have the knowledge to know where to go. When our eye is single on Christ and he is first in our lives, we can know where to go because we know this is not first. This is not a priority. God will speak to us as well. When you are single-hearted, God will cause you to be sensitive, to allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. Remember what happened when the storm came. The disciples were all in a panic. They got their eyes on the immediate and on the circumstances. Instead of delighting in the relationship with God and recognizing 
that God is in control always because he's in their life, living in them and around them. And, feel, and so they could have just rested in the storm and said, this peaceful presence in me, I release it now to bring peace around me. And so Christ said, peace be still. Because he knew that him that was in him was greater than he that was in the world. I had an experience this week where I got all upset at someone that was screaming and yelling at me and accusing me of stealing from them because they have a problem with schizophrenia. Something is wrong with their mind. And I have deep love for this person and compassion. I've helped them for years. I've literally almost lost my place in many things trying to help them. It's a long story. But here they are screaming and yelling at me. And some other person is gullible enough to believe that what they're saying is the truth and that they're going to go and take this to the church. And, and instead of being calm, I started getting angry with her. I don't want to, you get out of this place and don't ever talk to me until you repent of your sins. And, and she stuck her hand in front of me and I slapped it. And I didn't, and then I realized that was not good to do. It didn't hurt her, I just slapped it because her blinking was getting too close towards me. But you see, that's what happens. I wasn't in the peace of God. But I learned a lesson through that. Always to be in that tune. We're growing, we're learning what it is to be in a love relationship with God where we can learn to be in the victory in the midst of the worst storm. There can be a war around us with people all being killed and we can be at peace. If we know that God's presence is with us, we don't fear even if we're killed because it says that whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet will he live. In fact, it says you'll never die. And indeed, the people that experience death don't even know half the time that they died and they find themselves out of their body. And so the key here is to be those that take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee, be not darkness. If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. So our focus on God causes his light to fill us with the knowledge to know where to walk and to see the path before us that may be impossible to know in the natural appearance of things. And so we learn not to lean on our own understanding, but on all our ways to acknowledge him. And lastly, I want to bring this passage out, which was related to the song we sung, because it again is emphasizing the importance of a heart of singleness towards God, of wholehearted capturing of our heart and love towards God by having a life that abides in him, that puts him first in a life of prayer over, for example, spending hours watching sports. Instead, we pray and we seek the Lord. Or spending hours in other things that are the things, in many cases, that are abominations in the sight of God. For the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. God is calling his people back to become his house of prayer and holiness in these last days. That's why I've written this book. You cannot go back to being the church the way you were. You cannot go back to just loving the world and being divided and double-minded the way you've been. 
You're missing out on an abundant life in this present life. God has your uniqueness, your creativity that he wants to bring forth and things that count for eternity, that redeem the time. He commands us to redeem the time because the days are evil. If we are going to be the virgins with the extra oil in our lamps, we must be those that do not think that because we go to a Pentecostal church and we pray so many hours a week and we do this and that, that therefore we are pleasing to God when our heart is not in it and we're just doing it out of duty and we're not captured by his love, not learning what it is to have a freshness before God, the secret of freshness in a first love relationship, of breaking the alabaster box before the feet of Christ happens when each member of the body can function freely in assembly. Because when mountains get too high, the valley comes up to lower the mountain. It's like this. Paul the Apostle said that God has so tempered the body together that he has given more abundant honor unto the part that lacked that there should be no schism in the body of Christ. So when there's the freedom for Christ to be fully head over the body, it means that this member in the body that is not very attractive and charismatic, suddenly a more powerful gift comes upon them that is manifested in the body to humble those that tend to be looked up to. So the mountains are brought down, the valleys are raised, and the weirdness that some people have because of impurity in their heart and the way they worship is made smooth. The rough places are made smooth, the crooked places are made straight, and then the glory of God in his fullness will come down and we will be baptized in a love for God and for each other that we've never known, where we love to wash one another's feet, where we're willing to lay down our lives and we love one another fervently because the love of the world has been repented of in our hearts. And so I want to read this verse here. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary, he waketh morning by morning. He waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. Oh, hallelujah. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious. Neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And this is what God is saying. He wants your focus, your face, spiritually speaking, to be like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. God is calling us to repentance, brothers and sisters. He's calling the church to wake up and repent of the things that have been quenching your hunger and thirst for God, for the secret of overcoming, is that we have that thirst, for it is those that he calls to drink of his life, of his presence, of his glory. And it is his presence and his glory that gives us the grace to overcome all things. Let us learn this secret of the fear of God, that we would abide in this fullness of his love. I don't have time to go on, for the length of this message is pretty long. And so thank you for listening to this message. You can go to my website and support me. I am in a lot of debt at this time, but I'm trusting God. I'm not worried about it. I'm just 
putting the kingdom first. It, too much to explain. I, it was business things I tried to do in the past. Uh, but, and I, I won't go into it. I should have received $93,000, which means I wouldn't be anywhere near in debt from my inheritance, but that's another long story. I'm praying for my family that they'll truly come into a genuine commitment of total wholehearted love for God. I don't want them to be deceived by a false gospel of grace that says once saved, always saved, and they can just believe in Jesus and live any way they want. That's not what the Word of God teaches. That's a deception. That's a lie. And so, thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all. And we'll talk again. Or we'll continue with these ministries of the Word of God.